Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Welcome aboard. It is Thursday afternoon, and that means it's Fresh Thinking time. Even if we've missed a couple here and there, it's good to be back in the seat and to be back. So Pesach is top of all of our minds, and we're not going to be able to escape it. We're going to land up talking about Pesach. It's pretty much guaranteed at this stage of the game at this time. So seeing as uh, you've probably got Pesach on your mind as well, I'm sure you'll want to participate in the conversation. You can do so at any time, as you well know. So please participate, share your thoughts, ask your questions, make your comments. You can use the SMS line 34519. You can use the Telegram line 061-895-1019. You could find us on Twitter. You could find us on Facebook. Either myself, at Ravashish, or you could have a look at um, Chai FM, at Chai FM. I'm just checking over here. I hope that you can hear well because... Seems like we're getting a little bit of interference, but I hope it's good. So yeah, keep the be part of the conversation, be part of the uh, share your thoughts, share your uh, insights because we'd all love to hear them. So here's what's on my mind: Pesach is coming, and we all know, of course, that Pesach is a very intriguing time, and it's an exciting time, and it's a time of great opportunity. So the question is, how do you feel? When you know that Pesach is coming, because I'm going to headed towards a very specific point that I'd like to make. Um, but if you think about the beginning of the Pesach Seder, particularly the first night Seder, okay? Imagine the first night Seder. What does it feel like? What's everybody, what's the attitude? How are people at the, uh, at the Seder table? You know, are they, are they engaged? Are they excited? To me, the first night Seder in particular is a time where there's a tremendous amount of positive energy. Everybody's in a good space. Everybody wants to participate. People arrive. It's almost like the faces of the people around the table match the gleaming cutlery and crockery that sits on the table. Because there's this optimism that we have at the beginning of the Pesach Seder, this enthusiasm for everything that the Pesach Seder is supposed to represent. So that's all very well. My question is this. You know what they say. It sounds a little cliched, but they do say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Because every one of us, I'm sure, has had the experience of being at a Pesach Seder where right at the beginning everybody's in such a good headspace and so connected and so enthusiastic. And then uh, the wheels come off at some point and kids start to, be, start to fidget. Maybe the adults start to fidget. People are hungry. Somebody's taking too long to read that particular part of the Seder. And tension builds. And sometimes you come back to the second Seder night, for those of us obviously who live outside of Israel, and you think, oh my gosh, we're going to be doing this again. Got to go through that whole process again. We did it last night. We know exactly what we're in for. We know how much matzah we're going to have to eat, and that's not pleasant necessarily. So the enthusiasm seems to wane a little when we reach that point. And more specifically, that's still the beginning of Pesach. When you get to the end of Pesach, the last days of Pesach, which are also Yom Tiv and they're supposed to be celebrated, it feels that people really dry up at that point. You know, okay, we're done here. 
<clears throat> we've we've been through this. We're we're actually sick of matter. And I don't know if you're allowed to say that, but I wonder if anybody feels that way. <clears throat> That you get to the point at the Pesach said, uh, not the Pesach said, uh, halfway through Pesach or towards the end of Pesach said, okay, it's enough, enough, as they say in Yiddish, genug shoin, you know, it's enough, let's move on, we've, we've been there, done that. So what I want to talk about today, and I'm hoping that you'll participate in this conversation, is not so much how you start Pesach, but rather how you find a meaningful, sustainable experience of Pesach. So let's start with this question. Have you ever, in all of the years, and we've all had many, many experiences of Pesach, of course, through the course of our lives. So, <clears throat> have you ever had something occur at a Pesach Seder? It could have been something that a person said. could have been something that you saw at the Pesach Seder. Have you ever had something occur at a Pesach Seder that was honestly, I don't know if, if life-changing is maybe a little bit too extreme, but have you ever encountered something at the Seder that, was deeply meaningful for you. Something that left you long after the Seder, still carrying that message or being inspired by that particular event. Because really I think the point is that the beginning of Pesach, while everybody is so enthusiastic, is absolutely wonderful and beautiful. The fact is you can't live at the beginning of Pesach. The fact, and this is representative of all of life, because consistently through the course of life, we have those moments that are inspiring. We have those moments that are engaging. We have those moments that we convince ourselves we will retain forever. And that's not how life works. And things run out, you know, and we, we're not necessarily as enthusiastic as we were in the beginning. And we're not necessarily as connected as we were at the beginning. It applies to business. It applies to relationships. It applies to spiritual commitments. It applies to personal growth. It applies, applies to looking after our health. So it's not how you start. We're all very enthusiastic about the Pesach Seder because it's an exciting moment on the Jewish calendar. And we hope that it will be engaging and we hope that it will be meaningful and we hope that it will be uplifting. Reality is though, that once the Pesach Seder ends, it should not be the end of the process. To the contrary, it should have been the beginning of a process. So my question is, how do you make this something long-term? How do you make this sustainable? Remember that Pesach marks the birth of the Jewish nation, which means that the things that happen around Pesach, the symbolism of Pesach, the traditions of Pesach, all speak to the overarching experience of being Jewish. So this is not simply a Pesach question. This is a question about how would we conduct ourselves generally as Jewish people? How do we generally keep ourselves motivated? How do we generally create systems in our lives that are sustainable systems and not just rush, get excited, explode onto the screen and then fizzle out, kind of like fireworks. I once heard a saying that the difference between, it was a criticism by a Russian Jew who had lived behind the Iron Curtain, of his American counterparts. And he said, you know, the difference between those yeshiva students who grew up in Russia versus those who grew up in the States is that the state is like fireworks. Everything is very exciting, very loud, very in your face, and then it fizzles out. Whereas life behind the, right, the Iron Curtain, they could never do that. They could never make these big announcements of their Judaism and so on. So they were, he said, like coals. It's not nearly as exciting to look at but they continue to glow for a very long time. And that's what we're looking for in our spiritual development. 
and in our personal development, we're looking for things that glow for a very long time. We don't want to just be one-hit wonders or have momentary excitement. There's really no value in that. We want to have meaningful, transformative experiences. And that's what Pesach is meant to be. It's meant to be an opportunity or an invitation for a meaningful, transformative, personal experience, personal growth experience. So my question is, how do we get it? How do we get it? So question number one will be, have you ever encountered something that occurred at a Pesach Seder that was just so meaningful for you, so shifting for you? There was such a, a powerful moment in your life that you said, wow, okay, this, this is big and I, I've got to stay with us or keep it. That's question one. And question two is, because the principle is it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So question number two is, and, and, and this is something really interesting to explore together over here today. What does the latter end of Pesach say to you? Because everybody focuses on the early part of Pesach. We spend an inordinate amount of time preparing for the Seder, talking about the Seder, studying things about the Seder, etc. And the reality is that, again, how we start, how it is at the beginning of the Seder is not necessarily an indication that we'll have some kind of a long-term value. So my two questions are, have you ever encountered something at a Pesach Seder that really spoke to you, that really shifted a perspective for you, that allowed you the opportunity to see things differently or to make a meaningful shift in your life? Has that ever happened? So please share with us, because I think people would benefit greatly from hearing other people's experiences and perhaps knowing what they should be looking for as well. Question number two is, what is the end of the Pesach experience, the seventh and eighth days of Pesach, which are the last days of Yom Tov, what do they possibly represent for you in terms of the theme of Pesach, in terms of the growth of Pesach, and so on and so forth? Because if we can catch that end part of Pesach that is largely overlooked, I suspect that's where we'll find the real depth and richness of the Pesach experience. So we really need to be looking over there. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, 34519, if you're going to send an SMS. Otherwise, on Telegram, 0618951019. And then, of course, you know how to use social media. So go ahead and share your thoughts with us. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So Pesach, very much top of our minds. How could you not have Pesach on top of your mind? It's just over a week away. And whether you're looking at what wine to drink at the Seder, how many people to host as guests if you haven't finished your invitations by this stage, or whatever it is that is on your mind, I'll tell you what's on my mind is, have you ever encountered something at a Pesach Seder that was literally life-changing for you that really shifted you okay maybe uh, life-changing is for some people a very dramatic expression but shifted you in some way here's sarah on twitter who says first and foremost having the pleasure of its presence so i understand what sarah is basically saying is that just the fact that it's pesach is already a shift it's already something that adds value to our lives it's already something that is that meaningful and i don't know if the implication is why would you look any further but i definitely think it's a great message a great message to say okay pesach itself should already be life-changing which really brings me to the next question that i was asking you and that is the next question the last part of Pesach, the overlooked part of Pesach, once the Seder is complete, once you've reached the point that you don't want to look at another matzah, the fact that it is Yom Tov again at the end of Pesach tells us 
that there's energy again, that there's opportunity again, that there's the spiritual possibility for great things again. And uh, the question is, you know, how, what, where, where do you find this? What are you supposed to do? What messages could you possibly discover in the last part of Pesach? And, and the reason I think this is so important is because at the end of the day, if you want to really have a personal transformative experience, which is what Pesach is all about, you can't expect you're going to have it in one night. The, the one night might become a catalyst. That's possible. But it's what happens afterwards that really, really counts. Um, here is Yes Man. <laughs> That's a nice name. Who says he once learned something from the Sfas Emes. For those people who are not familiar, the Sfas Emes was one of the great Hasidic masters. And he learned, this is the part that he quotes, that you should spend time tasting the tasteless Afrikoiman to get a taste of serving God without rational basis, without reason. So in other words, what he's saying is this, anybody who's familiar with the structure of the Pesach said, you'll know that one of the very last things that we do is we'll eat a matzah, which is called Afrikoiman matzah. That is after the meal when, quite frankly, you don't really feel like eating any more matzah. <laughs> That's the truth. And it's interesting because the Mishnah tells us the Talmud says that once you've eaten that matzah of the Afikoman, that's it. You should not eat anything else until the following day. And the Talmud explains the reason for this is because you, you're supposed to retain the taste of that matzah in your mouth. So what, what uh, this yes man on Twitter is telling us in the name of the Sfas MS is that that's a big message of Pesach. Linger with the taste of something that has no taste. Linger with the concept that not everything has to make sense to be valuable because the reality is we tend to believe that something has to talk to me, it has to make sense to me in order for it to be considered valuable. And this is a powerful message. If it comes from God, it doesn't have to satisfy your taste buds. It doesn't have to be something that you necessarily understand in order for it to be valuable. Okay, so that's a powerful message, and I could definitely see how that is something that a person would have said, whoa, okay, hang on, this is pause for thought. This is something that I need to reflect on beyond the Pesach Seder and actually apply it in my life. And that's what we should be doing. You know, people pro probably don't know this, but in the Chabad tradition, we don't say the piece at the end of the Pesach Seder that many other people do. Chasal Sidur Pesach Kehil Chosoy. It's an announcement that says we have now completed the Pesach Seder as is mandated by Jewish law. So in Chabad we don't say that. And one of the reasons we don't say, the primary reason we don't say that is because the Seder actually doesn't end. The process of eating matzah, drinking wine, relating the story, story in this particular format, that ends. But the Seder and the power of the Seder and the lessons of Pesach should never end. They should accompany us throughout our lives. Bear in mind again, Pesach is the, the commemoration of the birth of the Jewish nation. So it's a time that speaks to the core of who we are and what we believe and what we're all about. That's, that can't be something that you only allocate to a certain time of year for a few hours. It has to spill over. So when you hear that somebody says, wow, I heard something at a Pesach Seder and it really made me think not only about Pesach, but about my whole life and about my whole Judaism, we say, bingo, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. So that's why I'm asking you the question, what has stood out for you? Either something that you heard at a Seder or something that you saw at a Pesach Seder and you were like, wow, okay, this really talks to me. This really 
extends beyond the time that we're sitting crunching on matzah. This is a life lesson. Because the thing is this, it's so easy to feel uplifted, to feel inspired at a special time, whether that special time is the Pesach Seder or a person's wedding day or the launch of their new product or the first time that you commit yourself to go to the gym, whatever it is, any time that a person is engaged with something that is exciting, that is new, that is fresh, that is uplifting, they tend, we all, we all do this, we tend to believe that this is how it's always going to be. So when you listen to wedding speeches, they make it sound like this is how it's always going to be. And of course, nobody can guarantee that. When a person launches a new business, they speak as if this is going to be the next best thing since sliced bread. It's going to be amazing. And they believe, and we all do this, that it's not going to change. And when we commit ourselves to start the diet or go to the gym or speak more kindly to people, whatever it is, in that moment, we're absolutely convinced that we're going to be able to continue to do it. And then like every Pesach Seder ends, so does that moment of enthusiasm or that honeymoon phase. And perhaps it's fair to say that no growth occurs because of inspiration, because of a honeymoon phase. Inspiration could be a catalyst for a process that please God will bring to growth. But <clears throat> inspiration in the moment is not the catalyst for growth. Whereas hard work <laughs> and, and seeing how to translate the short-term experience of that one night of the Seder into the long-term growth that is supposed to follow, that's where real development happens. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. If you've got a particular element of the Seder that jumps out and says, this is it for me. And if it's not from the Seder, if it's from the end of Pesach, that's great. Anything at all from Pesach that stands out for you and says, this is where the secret lies. This is where you find the key to long-term, meaningful, personal, transformative growth. So you could share your thoughts via Telegram on 0618951019. Otherwise, SMS 34519. And of course, Twitter and Facebook, you can find myself, you can find Chai FM, whichever one is easier for you. If you've just joined you with Rabbi Shishla, fresh thinking all the way to the top of the hour. Today I'm talking about Pesach that is fast approaching and specifically how do you make Pesach more than just the one night wonder of the Seder, okay, outside of Israel, two nights, and that great excitement that's kind of disappears after a while. How do you turn it into a transformative experience? Here's uh, somebody who sent a message to say that I've seen family members who were estranged coming together in the moment and realizing that they needed to patch things up. A sense of unity enveloping all who are there. It taught me to need the need to strive for unity always. I think that's beautiful because sometimes, unfortunately, a pace I've said it can be a tense environment because you're bringing together family members and sometimes friends who are, don't necessarily get along. And there can be a certain element of tension that exists at the Pesach Seder. So to have the opportunity to see the Seder as a catalyst for bringing people together is powerful and rich and certainly something that you could take beyond the Seder night and apply to the rest of your life. So let's go back to the history. Let's go back to the actual Pesach story because it will be very insightful. Remember, as Jewish people, we don't just tell stories, certainly not just Torah stories. We relive them and not only in the context of the 
the original story, but in the context of the whole of our lives. So the original Pesach story is that there's a group of people who start their life as the children of Israel, which is effectively an extended family, and then they grow exponentially in a relatively short time in Egypt and become this fledgling nation. And 200 years they spend as slaves. So that's very significant because that means that for the people who left Egypt, being a slave was the only thing they knew. It's what they had heard from their parents, their grandparents, if they were blessed to have had great grandparents. And that was their context. That was their frame of reference. That was their reality. So to break free, to break out of Egypt, to leave, it might have geographically been a small journey. You know, you just literally cross a border. But psychologically and spiritually, it was totally a paradigm shift. Just try and imagine. Try put yourself into the heads of any one of those people who knew nothing else but to be degraded and assaulted on a daily basis and more than anything else, having zero independence, completely reliant on, on, on the people around them who, who controlled their lives. So can you imagine the break free of that? Imagine they come out of Egypt. Imagine how amazing they must have felt, how uplifting, how invigorating, how rejuvenating. Imagine. And then they wake up the next morning. So we're talking day two post-Exodus. They wake up and it's real. It wasn't a dream. You pinch yourself and it's real. We're actually out of there. We're free. We're, we're headed towards a new life and a new opportunity and a new, a, a new nationhood, actually. And at that point in time, it wasn't so much about going to the promised land. At that point in time, it was all about going to connect with God, to go to Sinai. And then they were going to connect with God. So it was a very uplifting and powerful time in their lives. And it's representative of, of these times in our lives. That I'm going to grow. I'm going to become a better person. I'm going to be nicer to my family. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more spiritual. I'm going to attend shul more often. I'm going to undertake whatever it is. Right? Every one of us, we have these liberating moments in our lives. So, you know, I don't have to be tomorrow who I was yesterday. I'm not locked into my history, which is an incredibly um, liberating way to think. So we all have those moments. I mean, like, okay, let's go. Let's do this. Let's achieve. We're going to change ourselves. We might even change the world. And at some point down the line, in every single process of personal growth, at some point down the line, it all falls apart. All that enthusiasm dissolves and dissipates. And we metaphorically hit the wall. Oh my gosh, this isn't working. I thought I had this under control. I really don't. I promised myself I was going to be patient and I lost my rag completely. I said I was going to study Torah every single day and I was going great guns for six months. And then this happened. It could be something positive, could be something negative. I traveled, person didn't feel well, whatever it is. And I lost the momentum and a million other examples like that. It's absolutely guaranteed that any process that we begin, any journey that we embark on, will be very optimistic at the beginning and it is equally guaranteed to hit some crazy heavy obstacle at some point. The obstacle might be of our own making. The person who just lets their guard down or, you know, whatever it is. Or it might be outside of our control. We were going so well and then COVID hit. We were doing so well and then the economy went, whatever it is. 
It's an absolute guarantee that in all personal growth, the journey to personal growth is guaranteed to hit a wall at some point in time. And it's what we do at that point in time that is far more valuable than what we do at the time of inspiration that started the journey originally. And that's a big mistake that people make. People, for whatever reason, tend to imagine that what they do in the height of inspired life, you know, is when you're feeling completely enthralled. Everybody believes that what you do then is what's going to have the greatest impact. And it's so not the case. It's what you do when the wheels come off. It's what you do when things don't work according to plan. It's how you so-called roll with the punches. It's what, what a person does when they smack into the wall at 100 kilometers an hour, what they do next. That is the make it or break it of transformative personal growth. That's when everything is going to change. Now, if we look at the Pesach stories, they come out of Egypt and they're feeling on top of the world and they're incredibly enthusiastic and everything's great. And Moses is the most brilliant person who ever lived and God is real. And they believe in their minds that this is how it's going to be. We have now broken free. So that must imply that we will never be in a difficult situation, in a crisis ever again. And that's a terrible mistake because there's going to be. There's going to be crisis. That's how it works. It doesn't have to necessarily be a devastating crisis, but there's always going to be some kind of a crisis. could even be the crisis of, oh my gosh, I've let myself down. So what do you do then? Let's identify in the story where that occurred to the Jewish people. And then based on that, we'll try and unpack a lesson or maybe a series of lessons for us. So my question to you is, where did that occur to the Jewish people after having left Egypt? At which point would you say they so-called hit the wall? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, or if you have a suggestion of what you're supposed to do once you hit the wall. 34519 is our SMS line. You can use Telegram 0618951019, or join the conversation on Facebook, Chai FM, or my page, and Twitter at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So uh, if you're new to this, you've just joined us, it's Rabbi Shishla, Fresh Thinking, and we're talking about Pesach specifically, about where do you get to translate the inspiration of the beginning of Pesach into something that has longevity, something that can really transform our lives in a meaningful way because Pesach is an invitation for meaningful personal change. So the Jews leave Egypt, they're feeling on top of the world, life is never gonna be the same again, they've been liberated, everything is wonderful, and then they reach a point where they're standing at the edge of the sea. And the only way to continue walking would be into the sea And you can't turn back now because the Egyptian army is behind them. This is a dramatic and pivotal moment in Jewish history. And it represents those pivotal moments in our lives where we thought we had broken free. And now it appears that perhaps we have not. What do you do next? Because... We all understand, we know what happens in the story, right? We know that the sea splits and it's a tremendous miracle. The Jews are able to cross. The Egyptian army is drowned in the sea and they sing this amazing song of praise afterwards to God. Thank you for the miracles. Thank you for saving us. Because at the end of the day, it's appropriate to give gratitude and it's also a lot easier to see that things worked out right after the fact. 
So we know the story. We know that there's going to be a miracle. And we also know, because we have the benefit of hindsight, so we also know that were it not for the miracle of the splitting of the sea, the miracles of the Exodus and the ten plagues would have been in vain. Think about it. If you get out of Egypt and you're only able to take your people uh, less than a week's distance into the desert and then the wheels come off and the whole thing collapses in on itself because now you're trapped between the sea and the soldiers, well, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going back to Egypt or everybody's going to jump into the sea and, and in desperation and take their lives. So you haven't succeeded in leaving Egypt. Now, this is a really important lesson for us. Starting a process does not mean that you have made a shift in your life. And maintaining a process sounds very long-term and perhaps overwhelming. At which point do you know that the process is sustainable? When does that occur? Well, the answer to that would be when you hit your first major bump in the road. That is going to be the greatest test of the success and sustainability of your process. So it's the, the first major collapse between husband and wife, when there's a proper issue that arises. That's going to be the first time they'll be able to tell how successful their relationship is. That's the first time they'll be able to make a choice that can enrich their relationship. So in other words, if, if they're feeling that they're insecure, that's okay. Doesn't mean it's the end of the line. It's what you do next, how you respond to the crisis that becomes the single most valuable indicator of the strength and hence longevity of this particular process. Now, we're focused, this is Pesach. Pesach is very much about personal spiritual development. And in personal spiritual development, this is exactly what happens. We start a process and we think, great, this is amazing. I'm so glad I learned this principle or met that person or went on that trip or attended that lecture or read that book. I'm so glad because it's really changed my life. And we all want to say that because we've heard so many other people say that particular thing changed my life. So we'd all like to have something that we could say that changed my life. It's a terrible mistake, though, to say at the beginning of the process that changed my life. It's when you hit the obstacle. That's, that's when you can see, did it change my life or not? And when you read the story of what happened to the Jewish people and the various psychological responses that they had when they saw that they were trapped between the sea and the soldiers, it gives you tremendous insight into what could go wrong, what kind of thinking could unravel the process, what kind of thinking could destroy all of the investment and all of the gains that we would have made at the beginning of the process. So in a Pesach context, we could have the most beautiful Seder in the world. If we run out of steam by the time we reach the end of Pesach, there's a huge chunk of the whole Pesach experience that is lacking. So the gains of the Seder get swallowed up by the losses of not keeping or seeing it through all the way to the other end. And I think it's easy to, to relate that to any other area of life. The gains that you have in the early part of a process will often be negated by the losses that you have in the long-term version of the process. So the Torah identifies that there were four different psychologies, and we won't have the time to get into what each of the four symbolized. But what's interesting about it is that the four philosophies all acknowledge one 
what they believe to be truth. And that's where the problem lies. They all believe that the obstacle is a very dangerous threat to the sustainability of the program they're working on. And we all do this. We all do this. When we're working with something, we're trying to grow in a particular way. If it fails or if something interferes, if we experience an obstacle, hit a bump in the road or crash into a wall, it's natural for us to say, oh, that is an indicator that things aren't working. That what I thought I had mastered, I haven't mastered. We automatically see the particular scenario as failure slash collapse. And that's not objectively true. It's natural to feel that way because nobody wants to feel like I, I was really trying and then it, it, it's not happening. Nobody wants to feel like a failure. The reality, though, is we are not objective in our own personal assessment. The first time we hit a challenge in life is the catalyst for growth. It's the opportunity to consolidate the journey that we had begun. The only reason God places an obstacle in front of us is not so we should trip. It's to create resistance that will make us stronger. When you go to the gym and your personal trainer challenges you with a particular exercise that you don't necessarily feel ready to do, you don't believe for a moment that the personal trainer is out to get you. You understand that the sole reason why this particular individual is now putting me through my paces in this very uncomfortable way is for one reason only, to create an opportunity for me to become stronger. Now, if that's true of a person you see maybe three times a week and pay a salary, it's certainly and much more so true of God himself who put us here in this world in order to create opportunities for our success. When he places an obstacle or creates a crisis in the particular journey we were on, it is only designed to allow us to rise, to become stronger, and to move forward in a better, healthier way than we were already doing. Now, that's really something to think about. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Bennett's, uh, I actually just bumped into them the other day. They've got a great range of hand sanitizer and other products. Good guys. So uh, just where where are we? We're at the point that the Jews leave Egypt and it's so exciting and they feel that their life will have changed forever, which is correct. And then the next thing, they're at the sea and the sea is in front of them and the soldiers are behind them and they feel this is it. The journey we began is a failure. It's not going to get us to the destination we wanted to arrive at. And so they respond with a whole range of different responses, which we are not going to have time to analyze today. But one group says, this is a lost cause. We, let's throw ourselves into the sea and commit mass suicide. The other group says, what are you talking about? We, we know what life is like in Egypt. It's not going to be worse if we go back. This was a great idea. It didn't work out. Let's go back and accept our fate and, and live in Egypt again. And another group says, not a chance. We're going to fight. And if anything, even if they destroy us, at least we'll have gone down fighting because we'll have a sense of our own dignity. And the other group says, well, you people are crazy. This is God who took us out of Egypt. This is a time to pray. And, and each one represents a whole psychology of how we react when whatever we expected in our lives doesn't quite go our way. And what's interesting is that the Torah tells us that Moshe, Moses, is instructed by God to tell them, 
Sorry, but all four of those approaches are incorrect. There's only one approach, only one approach. And this is such a useful lesson for us. How does a person grow in life? Not by being excited, not by being inspired. That might start a process. But how does a person really grow in life? Once you know that your inspiration is appropriate, you've got to be careful with that too, by the way, because people get all excited and inspired about a whole range of different things. Not all of them are necessarily healthy. But when you are on the right track and you're dealing with something that is a healthy journey to go on, then just keep taking steps in that direction. It doesn't matter what's in front of you. It doesn't matter how overwhelming the circumstances look. It doesn't matter how strongly you've convinced yourself that you're a failure. It doesn't matter. The key is take another step in that healthy direction. Don't lose hope so quickly. I remember when we were in Tanzania climbing Mount Meru, and it was tiring, obviously, as we approached the summit. And the guide said to us, don't lose your hope. And all he needed us to do was take the next step. That's all you have to worry about is the next step. We tend to be a little addicted to wanting to know exactly how everything is going to pan out, what the outcome will be, and we don't control outcomes. The Jews did not know what would happen when they stepped into the water, as, Moshe, as Moses instructed them to do. And what in fact happened was a huge miracle. And that's a lesson for us. You just take a step. You take a step in a healthy direction, no matter what has happened, no matter how much of a failure you feel. It's a wonderful message from Pesach. It's a wonderful message about hanging in there and resilience. And please God, it's a message we can all apply in our lives. So I hope that the run up to Pesach is great, easy, not as expensive as you anticipate. And please God, Pesach itself should be meaningful and uplifting. I want to wish you a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for being part of today's show and sharing your thoughts. Till next time, stay safe and stay sane.